HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. Welcome to Meet and Three, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. I'm your host and HRN's executive director, Katie Mosman-Wadler. This week, our team's been looking forward to celebrating the 4th of July, debating the best place to watch fireworks in New York City, and brainstorming recipes for family barbecues. But given the state of current affairs, we're also reflecting on the deeper meaning of Independence Day. We're heartbroken by stories of young children being separated from their families at our borders, and we'll have a report on how they're being fed and cared for in an upcoming episode. U.S. Citizenship Grants Rights and Privileges From freedom of religion and speech to trial by jury and the right to petition the government. But if you go to the official Homeland Security website, you'll also find a longer list of responsibilities next to that list of rights. Do you know what they are? And more importantly, are we all doing our part to fulfill them? We'll return to that later in the episode. But first, we'd like to take you on a brief trip back to colonial times. As a radio station devoted to food and drink, we've pondered what the founding mothers and fathers sat down to drink after a long day of revolution. Thanks to HRN host Linda Palaccio of A Taste of the Past, we know the answer. Around 1770, I've gone with the figure of roughly between three and four gallons of distilled spirits per year. Basically a few shots a day for for every adult and probably adult male over the age of 15 because I don't know that women were really being counted in that way. But it was was a lot. That's Corin Hirsch, author of Forgotten Drinks of Colonial New England. Alcohol played an integral role in daily life. People began the day drinking, indulged during lunch, and continued into the evening. But what exactly were they imbibing? Hard cider and rum, stone fence or stone wall, depending on where you find it referenced, was a blend of uh, hard cider and rum that was famously uh, loved, beloved by Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys. And they were supposedly drinking them the night before they went to Fort Ticonderoga and took that fort. They were drinking them in a pub in, or a tavern in Vermont. So uh, rum in various combinations with beer and cider would be the order of the day. And let's not forget... Whiskey was definitely something that rose during the Revolutionary War. It was fundamentally domestic drink made from domestic grain and really uh, became popular during the war and after the war. Um, But 
whiskey rose in Pennsylvania and, and that, that area down, moving south from there. Back then, upper-class colonists had a different drink of choice. Madeira was perhaps imbibed more by people of a certain class, of certain wealth. You'd find it in more urban areas, notably um, Philadelphia and Boston, and was beloved by many of the founding fathers who wrote uh, poetic things about Madeira. Madeira is a fortified wine, meaning it has a distilled spirit added to increase its alcohol content. Madeira was... was unique in that it avoided some of the British duties uh, because it came from a non-European place, the island of Madeira, so it was seen as a democratic drink uh, in the colonies. And I, John Cancock was bringing it in. He had a ship that um, I think some British officials boarded and found only a quarter full of Madeira and assumed that he had taken off whatever else was on there to avoid um, any kind of attention or taxes, and, it, and the ship was was grabbed by the authorities and it provided this crisis that helped foment uh, people's discontent with the crown. John Adams was a founding father and practicing lawyer. He got the charges against Hancock dropped, but people were still angry about the raid of Hancock's ship. People rioted in the streets of Boston and the British sent their military forces to try to stop the upheaval. So it's safe to say that while Americans' affinity for drinking has landed the U.S. in some tough spots, we definitely wouldn't be who we are without it. You can hear more of Linda's interview with Corin Hirsch on episode 183 of her show, A Taste of the Past. Self-reliance is one of the most powerful ideals of the American dream. Brittany Lukowski moved to Vieques, Puerto Rico in 2015 with her boyfriend Dan and started making small batches of water kefir with local fruits. In the weeks after Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico, she used her stock of fermented foods to survive. Brittany spoke to Feast Your Ears host Harry Rosenblum back in November about helping herself and her community in Vieques, one of the island municipalities of Puerto Rico. I guess the biggest thing we did was just start a lot of fermented vegetables because we knew the first thing to go would be uh, refrigerator trucks coming to the island. Um, usually after something like this or in a disaster situation, um, you know, the military trucks and a lot of fuel trucks will get priority. And I know after the storm, it was four to five weeks before we saw any vegetables arrive wow. at the produce or at the uh, grocery stores. Brittany's fermented vegetables were a viable alternative to the meal boxes provided by relief workers. They're concerned with getting people these calories, and I was like, but... <laughs> um, yeah, and then, you know, the military came in with MREs, which, right. again, that's, that's, they're calorie-laden, and they're also sodium-laden, and yep. they're, I don't think, very nutritious for somebody who's, you know, trying to survive in these extreme situations. Just a few days into this, people were already just eating everything out of a can, and it was right. kind of heartbreaking, you know, but we reached out to as many people as we could to share what we knew we could, you know, kind of do without, since we had a lot coming along. We checked in with Brittany this week for an update on life in Vieques. They currently have power, thanks to three large generators, but still experience blackouts at times. They're not expecting to be reconnected to the main grid for four to five years. Brittany is busy working on her garden and learning to make tempeh. She's also helping Dan, a beekeeper, 
provide honey and beeswax to locals. Most of Vieques's restaurants and businesses are open now, so she urged everyone to help Puerto Rico by visiting. As Brittany says, quote, The bioluminescent bay is glowing beautifully and the beaches are open and as gorgeous as ever. Your dollars will directly help to stimulate the economy here and help put food on the table for locals. Thank you to Brittany Lukowski. You can hear more of Harry's interview with her on episode 89 of Feast Your Ears. We'll be back after this short break to delve into the worlds of independent radio and independent grocery stores. Think about what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound. What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy saltwater? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long-chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. Welcome back to Meet in Three. By now, you may have guessed some of the responsibilities of a U.S. citizen. There's paying taxes, serving on a jury, and obeying the law. But here's what else is on the list. Stay informed, participate in your local community, and respect the rights, beliefs, and opinions of others. These responsibilities are right in line with Heritage Radio Network's mission to make the world more equitable, sustainable, and delicious— So now, we present a behind-the-scenes glimpse at how we produce independent radio throughout the year. Here's HRN's membership coordinator, Hannah Forden. About a year ago, I sent an email to HRN's general inbox. The subject was, your team, colon, internship or employment opportunities. It started, greetings Katie and the rest of the HRN team. I introduced myself. A care for the people, places, and stories that travel with our food onto the plate has defined how I see the world and connect with the people in it. And I explained my situation. I had just quit a job in the fashion industry with no concrete plans and a tiny savings account. All I knew for sure was that I wanted to work in food media. I first learned about Heritage Radio about a year and a half ago when I began listening to Chef's Story. I wasn't optimistic that I'd get a response. While I do not have professional experience in radio, I would be excited to start anywhere you might need me and learn as much as I can. Cheers, Hannah Forden. Many stories from HRN's community have a similar theme. Committed people taking risks to pursue and share their love of food. And, as you probably guessed, the stars aligned and I wound up getting a job here at the world's pioneer food radio station. As Souther Teague, host of The Speakeasy, put it, I get to sit down and talk to all my heroes for about an hour every week. It's incredible. I know the feeling. For our episode on independence, I asked some of HRN's community to tell me why independent food radio is important. Hi, I'm Ethan Frisch. I'm Jenny Dorsey. They host Why Food. We tell stories about career changers who have started in other industries and 
come to work in food through a mixture of determination and passion. And Heritage Radio is an incredible forum for them to tell their stories. We can really put uh, stories out there that really tap into the deeper parts of human motion. And we can do so in a way that's unfiltered. So you really get to have a connection with these people um, and want to follow them for the rest of their journeys. Jen Liuzzi, host of Tech Bytes, has been part of the HRN community since 2015. Independent press is an important thing to have if we want to live in a world that has dynamic conversations about all kinds of topics. It's also important to have a place where we can record things, our histories, our stories, our loves, our lives, our struggles, and keep them for tomorrow, for future generations, and for anybody who's curious and wants to listen. While HRN broadcasts live shows from our studio in the backyard of Roberta's Pizza, the office, just down the street, is always busy. That's where I spend most of my week. We have a lot of fun and eat a lot of pizza. Behind the scenes, our team works really hard running the organization and producing Meet and 3. Usually, there are three to six of us working out of 100 Bogart, plus our chief of morale, Daisy Buchanine, Cat's dog. <laughs> okay, so we stepped out of the office to talk about what a typical day at HRN looks like over at 100 Bogart. So I've got Katie Mosen Wadler, our executive director, and Kat Johnson, our communications director. The day to day is is super varied. Balancing the checkbook or carrying boxes of books from our mail service. This morning I changed the light bulb and the on-air sign, but we're also busy promoting the shows, checking in with all of our 40-plus hosts. We're planning the next episode of Meet and 3. I asked Kat to tell us the origin of Meet and 3, the first of its kind on HRN. We knew we wanted to break the mold a little bit of our regular format of a show, but in doing so, elevate the existing content on the network. And what's the story with the name? Meat and Three is a type of restaurant in the South, which is where I'm from, where you get a meat and you get three sides. And I just thought it sounded really catchy and that it would be a fun kind of play on words. And so that's where the format comes from. And if you're listening to this, you probably know that. We're doing three shorts, one main, and they're all thematically linked. And so it's been really cool because it also gives our whole team this opportunity to week to week do a story. And so we all get to have a role in that. It kind of feeds into this idea that we do things independently, but also as a team. HRN is a labor of love. Staff, hosts, and listeners all share the belief that storytelling can change the world. One bite or sound bite at a time. HRN has to raise $25,000 by July 31st to keep our mics on. Become a member today to make sure that Meet and 3 can continue coming to you each week. Because, as Jen Lietze put it, It's really the only food-focused broadcast platform in the country, maybe in the world, and it comes with a side order of pizza every day. Every Wednesday at our weekly staff meeting, we each give our week a fun rating. It's on a scale from 1 to 10. It's a way that we touch base about our emotional lives in and outside of the office. If you make a contribution of any amount at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, our fun rating will soar sky high.
For our final story this week, we're taking a trip down the grocery aisle with Kat Johnson. My earliest memories of grocery shopping take place in a Piggly Wiggly. If you live in a coastal city, you might not be familiar with the pig, as we call it. But if you've spent any time in small town Alabama or Wisconsin, chances are you've shopped in the store that revolutionized the way Americans buy groceries. Before Clarence Saunders opened the first Piggly Wiggly on September 11, 1916, in Memphis, Tennessee, here's how Americans would grocery shop. They'd go to the store, give the clerk their shopping list, who would then pack up all the groceries for the customer, and then they would pay. Saunders threw that system out of the window. At Piggly Wiggly, he arranged food on shelves methodically, marked prices on each of them, and provided baskets so shoppers could handpick their own groceries. It changed everything. His customers loved it, prices dropped, stores got bigger, and soon the grocery store franchise model was born. It seemed to offer everything that a consumer could want. Today, the largest grocery store chain in the U.S. is Kroger. It operates over 2,400 stores, and it's where my mom often shops. I asked her to bring us along on a recent trip. All right, so here I am at my local Kroger grocery store. I'm about to go in and pick up a few things for supper tonight. Um, I come to this store because it's nearby. Um, I just moved to Norcross, and this is close by and convenient, and I'm familiar with it, so it makes it easy for me to get in and get out. She has steaks in mind for dinner, so is looking for a few specific ingredients. All right, so I've uh, got my veggies, and now I'm headed over to the um, meat department. So one of the things I like about the store is that it is clean, and it hasn't been too crowded. But um, the last time I was in here looking for meat, I was a little disappointed on the selection. So we'll see how it goes today. All right, well, that was rather disappointing. Um, so I grabbed a couple of um, packages of filet mignon because, hey, it was uh, the best-looking thing I could find. And it was cheaper than the T-bones or the ribeyes. Uh, so now I'm headed to grab some bacon, you know. Life's not complete without bacon, right? Um, so yeah, this is one of the things I don't like about the store, is it's not a great meat department. The meat counter wasn't the only part of the store she had a gripe about. Here she is making her way to the checkout line. They don't really have a lot of registers open, so I'm going to wait in line for the self-checkout. Another thing I'm not crazy about, but anyway. As she unloaded groceries into her car, she shared some final thoughts. Again, um, I come to the store because it's convenient. I come to the store because it has the basics. I'm still looking for a nice local store where I can get better meats, obviously. And um, maybe one a little closer to the house. But all in all, a successful trip to the grocery store today. Convenience, efficiency, and affordability all factored into my mom's buying decisions. But despite that, her shopping experience left something to be desired. So what's the alternative to the limited meat selections, self-checkouts, and generic feeling of grocery chains? Today, obviously, there are so many ways of buying food that just didn't even exist before. Not only stores like Whole Foods that have kind of cropped up everywhere, but there's Amazon, there's Blue Apron. Um, it's, it's really a challenging thing. This is Joe Fassler. I'm Features Editor for the New Food Economy. He and his team report on the forces shaping how and what we eat. 
He's been contemplating grocery stores lately, especially with so many forces changing the way we shop for food. So I'm thinking a lot about, well, why do we need grocery stores in the first place? And personally, I'm a big fan of them. And I think you know, the food system wouldn't be as strong or resilient or as interesting without grocery stores, especially independent grocery stores. While there's no exact definition of an independent grocery store, a rule of thumb is that they have four or fewer locations. They face some of the same challenges as chains, slim margins, food waste, and losing customers to online shopping, but also lack the purchasing power and financial safety net of a conglomerate. It's getting increasingly harder for independents to survive. I think a lot of these stores were proverbially the only game in town for a long time, and they aren't used to the kind of cutthroat competition that's in the industry right now. I understand the people who are freaked out by Amazon's acquisition of Whole Foods. I mean, we're, we're now talking about um, one of the sort of most popular grocery stores in the country being wedded to one of the most sort of powerful tech companies in the world. Um, and I think the food system is stronger and is better, and food is better, and people are happier when they have more options. In order to survive and thrive, Joe says independent grocery stores should ask themselves, What can we do better than anyone else to, to, to bring people in? So that's exactly what we've done. The idea is that when our neighbors step into our space, they're excited, they're encouraged, they're amplified. This is Danielle Vogel. She's the founder of Glenn's Garden Market, an all-local grocery, cafe, and deli in Washington, D.C. They have a chance to, like, taste and teach and learn. And we offer all of these different engagement opportunities to really involve people in the good food movement. And what I mean by that term is food that was made by producers that treat their land, their animals, their ingredients, and their workforce with respect. It is the foundation to our future potential success. Danielle comes from a family of grocers. My father started a grocery chain in the New York area called the Food Emporium. And my grandfather on my mother's side started a, a larger chain in the New York, Jersey area called Pathmark. And this is a tradition that stretches back 100 years on both sides of my family. So it is something for which I am indelibly genetically coded. But my interest was to work for my hometown congressman. That's all I ever wanted to do. She chased her dream of working in public service, getting her political science degree in a year and a half, and eventually working with Senator Joe Lieberman of Connecticut on climate change legislation. Ultimately, the bill failed, and I had to find a way to continue making climate change progress. So I had this crazy idea that if I could create a business where every decision that we made was made to advance our climate mission, I could control the parameters of debate. So everybody walking into our store, making any selection they choose in our building, is a climate progressive action. This mission of Glenn's Garden Market, to make climate change progress, is stated clearly and proudly. Our commitment to that environmental mission permeates every single decision we make for the business in ways that are visible to our neighbors and in ways that they may frankly never even realize. So for instance, almost everything on our shelves comes from the states that surround the Chesapeake Bay. Um, we don't put out any food waste at all, which is super strange for a grocery store. Danielle is also forthcoming about the challenges that go along with trying to run an independent grocery store, particularly in neighborhoods that need access to good, healthy food. 
I mean, let's have a raw and vulnerable moment. Um, I tried to do a for-profit concept in a food desert and I had to close the store two months ago. The struggle is real, but the future looks bright. So I just want to give a shout out to my buddy, Phil Sambal of Good Food Markets. So his concept is build a really elevated, carefully cultivated product mix and put it in a totally underserved community that's a food desert because everybody should have access to this kind of food. Um, he, his store is on Rhode Island Avenue in D.C. He's currently building two more stores simultaneously. Um, the stores are absolutely beautiful. The product mix is extraordinary. Um, his happens to be a nonprofit, which I think is probably a smart way to organize that particular concept. Danielle is certainly not alone in having to close or restructure a business due to the challenges created by consolidation and increasing competition. Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears on HRN, is one of the founders of The Brooklyn Kitchen, which incorporated groceries into their mix in 2009. When we first opened, we wanted to provide the best culinary tools for our neighbors, and that continued into our grocery, providing the best quality products sourced as carefully as possible. Last year, the Brooklyn Kitchen stopped selling groceries altogether. In the face of changes in consumer buying trends, uh, online shopping had become much more popular, free shipping has become the norm, and we saw a changing demographic in our neighborhood and our local customers. And then when a Whole Foods opened uh, nearby, it was time for us to focus on teaching people how to cook. Harry is still a big proponent of local independent grocery. Uh, I worry that as things become bigger and bigger, that all we're going to be left with is basically one truck that drops off everything from cleaning supplies uh, to fresh vegetables. Another independent grocery store in Brooklyn is located in the Fort Greene neighborhood. The Green Grape is a family of businesses, um, all on one sort of corner in Brooklyn. This is Meg Christman. I'm the general manager at Green Grape Provisions. As it says on its website, the Green Grape Provisions is not your average grocer. So it differs from a normal grocery store in that sense of just, there's not a vast selection. But I can guarantee that everything you pick up will be delicious and uh, well cared for. One thing that sets the Green Grape apart is its whole animal butchery program, using only locally sourced meats, which I bet my mom would appreciate after her last trip to the grocery store. Providing the Fort Greene community with a place where you can get fresh meat that's very healthy and supports sustainable agricultural systems is something that we're very proud to be able to do. We joke sometimes that our, our head butcher is the bartender of the grocery store, so people come in just to hang out and, you know, chit-chat. If you shop at an independent grocery store, you're probably aware of some of the benefits. The sense of community, knowing that your food is locally sourced, and being able to support your local economy— but one thing you may not be aware of is how instrumental independent grocery stores are in helping launch food startups. Here's Danielle Vogel again. Something that I spend a lot of my time doing is we grow small businesses along with our own. So the idea is that if we can identify, incubate, accelerate, and amplify the work of other sustainable producers, then we can help them achieve economies of scale and ultimately help them get placement in the larger grocery stores. And when they do that, they are effectively displacing demand for industrially produced food. One example of a startup that Danielle worked with is Misfit Juicery. This is a concept that was started by two absolute 
badass, brilliant millennials in their dorm room in Georgetown about, at this point, probably about four years ago. So they had started to learn about the negative impacts of food waste in school, and they decided, not unlike myself, they had to do something about it. So they started a juice company that only uses produce that would have otherwise gone to waste. So whether that's coal that they glean from local farmers, or they've even developed a partnership with Whole Foods through their, their distributor, where they get the fruit scraps from Whole Foods Cut Fruit program. Meg told me about a dressing company that got its start on the shelves of the Green Grape. They're called Momo Dressings. They're an awesome husband and wife duo who started a number of years ago making these amazing fresh dressings of different kind of, they have a ginger, a sesame, and they have tripled in size, you know, um, and have been able to do everything in this meticulous way that they like to do it and continue to make an amazing product while scaling up. Harry at the Brooklyn Kitchen shared a similar story of a now well-known product. We were the first place to ever carry McClure's pickles. Uh, and, you know, that was really wonderful and it was really cool and it was great for us to say that. At a certain point, their business outgrew us. And that has happened with numerous brands. And I, I hear the same story from other independent grocers that I've spoken with. It's really great to help these brands and to get them started, but eventually they outgrow you. And so to be constantly in this position of helping people get started um, rather than reaping the benefits when they reach scale and uh, the economies that go with that, uh, that can be a little bit daunting for independent grocery stores. Here's Joe Fassler again. With their smallness, it can be hard because they don't always have the economies of scale um, that the larger places have. Um, and so it can be more expensive to operate. At the same time, they can be more nimble. They can they can work within, they can have um, a relationship with an individual farm or, or an individual farm co-op and, and serve things that you can't find anywhere else. Um, and that's really important too. So I, th- I think in general, um, it's, it's, they serve a, a critically important role in all of it. And, and um, I do hope they're able to, to find a way to survive. Danielle and Meg find satisfaction in overcoming the daily challenges of running their stores because they believe in the importance of offering local, healthy and sustainable food to their customers. That's what we're thinking about every day at the store that we hope we can continue to share. And, you know, we're excited to keep pushing for that change in the food industry so that even more people can enjoy it. You know, you don't have to be a climate nut like me in order to make incremental climate change progress, but just making like the tiniest amendments to the way you shop for food. Um, Maybe taking some pressure off of our transportation system by walking to a grocery store instead of ordering off the internet. Um, Or maybe once a week choosing a vegetarian option over a carbon intensive meat option. Or like easiest thing in the world, bring your bring your bag when you go to shop for groceries. Um, There are just like the tiniest little things you can do that are over the course of a lifetime really impactful. Despite these obstacles, Harry sees a bright future for independent grocery stores. I think the future for independent grocery stores is really good. Uh, I do think that people are continuing to care about where their food comes from. And I think it really is the independent grocery stores that have a, a very strong place in that. Thanks again to Joe Fassler, Harry Rosenblum, Danielle Vogel, and Meg Christman for sharing their many insights about independent grocery stores. And thanks to my mom for taking us along on her trip to the grocery store. Um, I wouldn't say I was in and out in record time, but, you know, it was pretty quick, and that was my goal. For Heritage Radio Network, I'm Kat Johnson. That's it for this week's show. Write us anytime 
at ideas at meetand3.nyc. That's all spelled out. Be sure to save some room on your plate for Meet and 3 every Friday afternoon. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you love what you're hearing, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And please, if you love this show, recommend us to your friends. Special thanks this week to Jack Inslee, Linda Palaccio, Harry Rosenblum, and Mary McCartney. Meet and 3 is produced by Liza Hamm, Margaret Kelly, Hannah Forden, Kat Johnson, and me, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Our audio engineer is David Tattashore. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Meet and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Meet and 3 is taking a break next week for the holiday, but keep an eye on our feed for a special snack. We wish you all a very happy 4th of July. Tune in July 13th for the next full episode of Meet and 3.